This is The Sean Prue Show on Canada Talks, Sirius XM 167. Glad you're with us. Happy weekend to you. Uh, you picked a good episode, something for everyone, this episode of The Sean Prue Show. It even got something for the sports fans. Yes, here on The Sean Prue Show, where the host pays no attention to the Toronto Maple Leafs because he hates baseball. We've also got a real treat for you coming up end of the show with Quebec Chanteuse Satya joining us to share some new music. We're going to learn how and why a sexual health survey is going to come with rapid HIV tests included in it. And also, we're going to meet the first black female owner of a nationally recognized sports league. That's the sports story we've got for you this episode. But first, let's start with a heads up to all Canadians about a free online employment program that'll be of interest to countless people based on some statistics uh, that might startle you about unemployment and education during the COVID-19 pandemic. Did you know, for example, that 600,000 and Canadians are unemployed as a direct result of COVID-19 restriction. Did you know that 47% of them uh, have no post-secondary education? And did you know the pandemic has accelerated the rise of the digital online economy by three to four years? Here to break it down uh, and tell us all about uh, this program is Fort Erie Tech 101's Andrew Liu. He's the project manager. Andrew, how are you today? Hey, Sean, I'm doing great. How are you? Good, thank you. So let's start with the statistics. What does this mean uh, for the workforce? We've got all of these people um, unemployed. Uh, Many of them have no post-secondary education, almost half of them. And we've got a digital online economy accelerating quite rapidly. So that means what? Yeah, so uh, there's two things that I really want to break it down to. Number one, it means that uh, in today's work environment, a lot of people don't have the opportunities or the skills that they need to get these online jobs. And the second thing is that uh, for the foreseeable future, everything is going to be digital, or at least it's heading towards that digital stream. So the people that are currently um, unprepared for this digital phase, unless they you know, receive some sort of training or upskilling, um, they will be at a disadvantage in the, in the, foreseen, in the foreseeable future. Um, yeah, that's the two stories. A quarter of, uh, I didn't share this stat, but let's go through this. A quarter of all Canadian businesses expect more than 10% of employees to work remotely permanently going forward. That's a lot of people. What does this mean uh, in terms of the story you're telling? So it means that traditionally, if your job was in person, uh, there's a really, really high likelihood that at least a portion of your job, even after the pandemic, will be done online. So, uh, you know, through Zoom, through email, et cetera. So these are the skills that are really, really essential um, if you have an in-person job, but also if you're working abroad, et cetera. So tell us about the Fort Erie International Academy, which is launching Tech 101 to all Canadians. So all Canadians, listen up. Um, It's a free online program. Tell us about Fort Erie International Academy. Okay, so Fort Erie International Academy, we're a private school located in the Niagara region. We go by FIA for short. And uh, the differentiating factor at FIA is that we train our students to become global leaders. So rather than um, you know, making sure that they're leaders at a, at a Canada level, we have a lot of international students that are able to mix and mingle with our domestic students. And the idea is that we want our students to become global business leaders. Wow. And so in a situation like that, um, are you teaching just tech at FIA or what other sort of programs are available there? So in addition to the, uh, FIA is a accredited um, private school by the uh, Ontario Ministry. So in addition to the regular courses, we also have a lot of tech and a lot of different extracurricular activities, uh, such as different sports, et cetera. Um, Pretty much everything you need for a well-rounded student. Right. And these days, everything is, is online, but in better days, is it an actual physical school? Not to sound ignorant. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but yeah. these days everything's everybody's sitting in their online classroom everyone's sitting online doing everything um what's what's a normal situation look like at FIA yeah so um a, a normal situation is essentially where we we have a really strong residence at our school itself it's located in Fort Erie in the Niagara region and um we're looking forward to the days where we're able to go back in person and all of our students are able to you know have face-to-face interaction with not only each other but our world-class teachers and our administrative staff as well so yes it is it is physical based okay let's get to the meat tech 101 uh this is being offered for free 
uh, to Canadians. And I don't know how you're doing that <laughs> or why you're doing that. Like, don't you want to make a buck? <laughs> yeah, so um, we realize that digital skills are really, really important. And uh, when you look at the statistics, you see that people that generally don't have this sort of training or people that are generally affected by COVID-19 are already disadvantaged in terms of um, in, in terms of the their situation. So we're seeing that people of color, people that are coming from low to medium household incomes, uh, people within the LGBTQ plus community that are more affected by COVID-19. And uh, with FIA being Canadian based, we really wanted to give back to our community. So we're doing this project in collaboration with Huawei Technologies and both of us just really wanted to give back to our community. And we felt that free was the best way to actually wow. target the people that needed it the most. It's quite incredible uh, that you guys would do this. Tell us about um, the course itself. I think it's uh, 10 uh, online courses, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you're correct. So. Uh, in choosing these 10 courses, we, were, we essentially asked, what do employers require in this day and age? And we got that list of 10 courses. Uh, eight of these are sort of workforce digital skills or communication organization related. And then two of them are workforce or, or um, digital life skills. So online banking and cybersecurity. And all of our courses are one hour in length. So they're perfect for someone who's, uh, you know, fresh out of employment, but wants to get back in the job market as soon as possible. So they're able to complete a course in the shortest amount of time possible and gain just enough skills so that they're able to uh, confidently apply to the jobs that they're looking for. I want to go back to the stats that we shared at the top of this segment. 47% of people now unemployed due to COVID restrictions um, have no post-secondary education. Did that surprise you? That, that's a high number. It, it is. It, it's, a, it's a really high number. Um, it is surprised me. First? and what came first, the fact that they don't have an ed education, so they were more expendable because of co during COVID? Or was it just the fact that COVID ate up their jobs? Statistically speaking, and, and this doesn't apply for everyone, but statistically speaking, those with lower levels of education uh, tend to be in positions that COVID impacted more drastically. So right. these are industries such as, uh, you know, food and nutrition, hospitality, etc. cetera. Uh, in these industries, a lot of jobs were cut. And it just so happened that people with, you know, only a high school diploma, et cetera, were mostly employed within these industry, in, in these industries. It seems like a side effect of, of COVID. It just went after the people who are most disadvantaged in, in so many ways throughout our society. And, and I didn't even think about um, education, but um, there's another shocker with COVID for you. Um, now, what do we want to do? People are listening to this. Uh, Tech 101 at FIA is available to all Canadians. Is, is there a uh, age range that, that it begins at? No age range. Any Canadian is able to go ahead and register right now and, and start taking courses pretty much today. Our website is uh, www.fiaa.ca slash tech 101. And any deadline to register? Not at all. We we plan to do uh, we, we plan to continue Tech 101 for the foreseeable future. Uh, and you've got a, a Facebook community going. Why don't you tell us real quick about that um, while we've still got some time left? Awesome. Yeah. So the Facebook community is uh, one of the aspects that make Tech 101 really different from pretty much every other online course or online platform out there. Um, this Facebook community is an extension of our learning. So the learning doesn't just stop with our videos and our quizzes, etc. People have the opportunity to join the community where they can interact with other learners, as well as different mentors, instructors, uh, people like myself, et cetera. And in this group, we host discussions about jobs, networking, um, online learning, et cetera. And it, it's essentially supposed to be a one-stop platform where people can really get excited about learning about digital skills or furthering their career, et cetera. Really good work that you're doing there. And thanks for coming on, Andrew Leo, for, to, to tell us all about it. Uh, so this is for beginners. The programs create building blocks for a career in the modern online workforce. It's free. You don't have to have previous employment or educational experience to sign up. Uh, thank you so much, Andrew, for coming on and sharing about this really generous uh, offer that you're making to all Canadians. You've got the Sean Prue Show here on SiriusXM Canada Talks, Channel 167. We'll be right back. We're glad you're with us. A purpose and a reason you were perfectly formed
On Canada Talks, Sirius XM 167. I just spent the last three minutes priming our guests to take it easy on me. Odessa Jenkins was listed as one of the top 100 most powerful, influential women in sports by Sports Illustrated, is a Hall of Fame inductee, a two-time national champion, a USA football team captain, and two-time gold medalist, and is the first black female owner of a nationally recognized sports league. And while long-time listeners will think Prue has stepped out of his lane on this story, I can't throw a ball to save my life. I wanted in this lane so we could meet this phenomenal person and say, holy crap, Odessa Jenkins, how are you today? I am doing so good, Prue. How are you? I'm good. I, uh, I'm blown away by, the, and that's just a, a short list of your accomplishments in what is obviously um, and typically and traditionally and unfortunately been a man's world How? yeah yeah what? you know um go ahead sorry no uh you can say whatever you want to, to that how, I, I would have just asked you how um what does it take to get to where you went uh where you've arrived uh in in that kind of and football too that's the one where they tackle <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they do more than tackle. They tackle, they throw, they hit. But yeah, I think that um, my how is I, I it's it's important that I tell you how I show up because um, I show up authentically myself. I've never hidden any parts of who I am. And I think that my courage in being like exactly who Odessa is. And I don't pull any punches for anybody. I was raised by a family that believes you should stand 10 toes down and who you are and what you believe in. Um, And I had a pretty good education and a great loving entrepreneurial family. Um, And I love sports. And so my mother always taught me to seed your purpose and then, and then go water it with your hard work and your strategic thought. And I didn't think football, why would football be any different? Like I literally had no idea what I was doing because all I was doing was watering my passion and kind of fanning my own interest in being an entrepreneur. I didn't see a business here. And so I started one. When did you um, first play football? At what age? And how, how was it easy for uh, a woman to get in on the game? Even it if it was, was at school? Easy for me because um, I was always the girl, right? The right. Tom, quote unquote tomboy. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I grew up with, a, with a, all the boys in my family um, were my age. So if I wanted to play, I had to play with the boys if I wanted to have people to play with. Right. And so uh, I probably picked up a ball when I was a football when I was about four years old. And um, I was getting knocked around a lot, <laughs> a whole yes. lot. Um, so that part wasn't easy. The physical scars. I mean, if you ever, if you, if you could see me, my fingers and toes are all crooked <laughs> and pointed in the wrong direction. They are. Um, I can see her folks. I can see her and they are. <laughs> so that part was hard. Mentally, I think it really turned me into a woman who knows how to walk in a room full of men or frankly, a room full of everybody and not worry about what somebody's sex or gender or how much how powerful they are how what they lack or what they have and just walk in and get what I want and be who I want and that's what that's what growing up playing with the boys was so playing football was actually very natural for me I'm a naturally aggressive violent athlete and so (laughs) that came came natural we are polar opposite people (laughs) just so you know (laughs) that's kind of cool uh, so I'm just imagining all of this and, and, and it's one thing to, um, speak so eloquently about, uh, the qualities that you imbue and that got you in the door and got people's respect. 
But along the way, there must have been some a-holes. There must have been some hurdles. Tell us a bit about that. It's hard to believe that it, that you just had smooth sailing all the way. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't say it was smooth. Uh, I just said it was it was easy. You're smooth. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, so it seems like it was smooth. <laughs> I don't take anybody's shit. Can I cuss? Because I almost cuss. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't take anybody's stuff. Um, and so there is always, from the time I picked up that ball at four years old, to me now at 40, um, every year of my life, almost every month of my life, I'm dealing with somebody who's telling me that this is not the space for women. I'm actually dealing with the world that tells me that women aren't value in my sport. Um, I'm dealing with the industry that tells men that they will pay them a half a billion dollars to throw a football and tells women that they don't even deserve to get paid to do it. They should actually be paying to do it. Um, and so I've dealt with executives who tell me that I'm wasting my time and that I should not be pouring my money into women's sports and who slam doors in my face. I'm dealing with trolls online who, as soon as I mention what I do or show my league off, um, call us uh, wannabe men and call us trans, trans dudes, call us you know, uh, girls with balls and everything that we do that isn't aligned with the fem feminine diaspora of, of, of American ideal of what a woman should be. I deal with it at every point and turn in my life. And so as a young, athletic, muscular woman, I've been this way since I was four. I've had like negative 1% body fat. Like I look right. different. I, I look different than the other girls. You're and born so, for this. Yeah, I was, I literally was born for this. I was born to deal with the hecklers. I was born to deal with the, the men in high places who will try to talk you out of it and slam the door in your face. And I was definitely born for the haters. I, I'm ready for that. This is a great conversation we're having because what you're describing is a great metaphor for a lot of people out there who are facing their own hecklers, uh, regardless of what it is, whether it's a workplace or at home or in their marriage. Um, they're, they're, we get heckled at, all of us, uh, in the course of our lives. And, and so tell us about how you've um, stayed the course, how you've um, kept sane and grounded um, because even just listening to everything that you're up against um, was deflating for me to listen to. So how do you manage this? Share this with our listeners. Um, it's bigger than me. And, and I always, um, I try to, you know, Maya Angelou says that modesty is a made up construct. And so I try not to be like, I don't shrink myself, but I realize that I am just a piece, you know, I am, I am one person in a really, really big world. And so I think about who I'm doing it for. Like, I never forget my why. Mm. I never forget that I'm, I, there's going to be a girl that's going to come after me um, that is probably a baby right now who has the best, who's the best quarterback that ever lived. And if I don't do what I do, she won't be given an opportunity. So I take responsibility for who I'm doing it for, my family, all the things that I sacrifice. My mm. wife keeps me sane. <laughs> She's the reason. Praise that. the wife. Praise the wife. She keeps me sane. Um, but I think that, that the way that I deal with everything I'm up against is um, I have strong faith in a higher power. But frankly, I always remember my why. I remember the women who are playing now who have been doing this for decades and no one ever gave them anything. And I remember, and I, and I always think about the girls that are, and boys, frankly, that are going to come after me. Uh, and I always want to make uh, my family and those girls proud. You're obviously openly gay. You just talked about your wife. Um, has that been a hindrance in the mix being out of the closet? at all it hasn't um it has not. been a okay. hindrance but it has been Weaponized. something i've had to address right like i don't I, I um i don't think that most entrepreneurs in my position 
in sports if I were a, a straight cisgender male sitting here talking about how it was growing something that came from nothing and had no investment. It'd be, you know, so much interest in my intellect and my strategy. But most of the time in all interviews, I am talking about what it means to be gay and um, what I am up against and how that's challenging. And frankly, I, I think that I take responsibility for that. Um, I own that and it serves as a distraction to some people, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's never, it's never anything that, that I have seen that, that will, that has stopped me at this point. You are the first black female owner of a nationally recognized sports league, the women's national football conference, a professional women's tackle football league with over 20 teams and a thousand women and coaches in all 17 states. Explain that to us and in terms of why this is important, uh, what it's taken to build that and where you want to go with it. Yeah, I think the best way to look at it is um, the top 1% of Americans, um, billionaires, um, actually 0.5% of American uh, wealth holders, um, a great majority of them own sports leagues, the major ones, the NFL, the NBA, leagues, teams, um, Major League Baseball, even the women's leagues. Uh, when you look at the National Women's Hockey League, or sorry, Soccer League, the WNBA, um, major sports are all generally, the ownership is generally left to those who own everything else in the country um, and that have generational wealth. And so it has never happened where a league, particularly in football uh, and women's football, has ever gotten national acclaim and has been recognized by those other leagues, uh, other national leagues, um, as a legitimate, viable business. And it definitely has never happened for a woman of color to build a private, not a charity, but a for-profit entity like this one. And I'm in love with you. (laughs) I had to cut in and say that. You're amazing. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Please yeah, carry so that's, on. <laughs> that's, what, that's, what, that's what this means. It just means that I am, you know, I hate that. So it's so weird, like breaking barriers, but there there's, and, and you hear all the time from people like, I'm so tired of people saying the first, you know, I'm so tired of the first black and the first woman. It's like, well, dude, it's taken a hundred years. <laughs> Like, forgive me for wanting to say it a little bit. You, you, you sit there in your chair because it's happening for people that look like you every day. Yes, yes, and 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 let's have a champagne problem. If this is all that that's that you've got to complain about, do you know what I mean? That's really all you've got to complain about. You're tired of hearing first black. So, what's ahead? What's next? Where are we taking this? Yeah. So next is we have to continue doing things like this, Um, you know, get the word out. Um, We have to continue to be in the media, make sure that we get awareness, continue to grow our socials and branding. Um, We're probably going to do our first round of fundraising, which is going to be another thing like, oh, you guys are real business. You're raising capital. Um, So we're going to raise our (laughs) first round of capital probably coming up this summer. Um, and just continue to, to provide value to our sponsors. Um, we want to continue to grow. I'm, I'm hoping we grow by another 30% and get another 300 or so women playing football across the country, um, really across the world. Um, I think the other thing is to really, really continue to put our stake in the ground that we're here to stay and that women could uh, do whatever the hell they want. Like, stop limiting yourself. That's, other, that's the other thing. I knew as soon as this was pitched that I was going to enjoy having you on. I wasn't sure about the sports angle, but it's been great. We did it. (laughs) We did it. (laughs) You're welcome on this show anytime you want to come back and and, uh, let us help you get word out about anything you want. Uh, Thank you so much, Odessa Jenkins, and uh, wish you peace, love, and great success. 
I will love that. Thank you so much. I appreciate you for taking your time with it. Absolutely. You've got the Sean Cruz show here on SiriusXM Canada Talks Channel 167. We've got Satya at the end of the show. Don't miss that. We'll be back in just a second. Glad you're here. You Welcome back to the Sean Pru Show on Canada Talks, Sirius XM 167. Here's Sean Pru. Here I am, and uh, there is uh, an edition out right now of Sex Now, Canada's largest health survey for gay, bi, trans, two-spirit, and queer men and non-binary people. Uh, we're going to learn what that is all about. We've got Dr. Nathan Lachowski, uh, who is the research director and principal investigator of the Sex Now survey, joining us right now. It also contains uh, something interesting, a new component uh, that I wouldn't have expected along with a sex survey. Nathan, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me back, John. Yes, it's nice to have you back. So talk to us a bit about the sex survey itself and why it is even important to begin with. Yeah, thanks. So the Sex Now survey is um, Canada's long, largest and longest running health survey for gay, bi, trans, two-spirit, queer, men, and non-binary folks, as you said. And during the data is used by community, by public health, by research and policy to really shape um, during services, programs, funding opportunities in terms of making our lives better. So the survey covers a wide range of things from substance use and sex, mental health, social connection, a lot of things that really have been impacted by COVID. So it helps us really show what the impact has been on our community um, and during provide uh, support and data to services across the country. So what sticks out when you do a survey like this um, in terms of even the effects of COVID on the uh, uh, GBTQ community um, or just without COVID? What, what pops out when these surveys come back to you? Yeah, I mean, as a health survey, I think one of the key um, issues that we often are looking at is around health service access and who's able to get the health services that they need and deserve. And because we're running this across the country, um, there's a lot of different factors that shape that. It could be racism in healthcare, it could be geography. So we know before COVID that you know, access to sexual health testing had barriers for people. And when COVID started, that only got worse. When the clinics shut down, during capacity reduced, that made it harder for people to get sexual health testing or HIV testing. So that's definitely one of the things that stands out for me. Explain to people um, why um, queer healthcare is different from straight healthcare. I think fundamentally it's about stigma. So, I mean, I don't know how folks feel out there, but when I think about what I can talk with, with my family about and what I want to talk with my healthcare providers about and what I can talk with my friends about, those things don't all overlap. And part of that's because of the way that people feel comfortable talking about the sex they have, the relationships they have. Um, and so that really shapes during what care people are able to get, um, whether people feel safe and during supported by their healthcare providers, or whether they feel like they're going to have um, anonymous or confidential healthcare is really important as well. So during those societal forces of during stigma and discrimination really shape what our healthcare experience looks like. And fundamentally, because we live and love and have sex differently, um, we have different healthcare needs. And so during those are important to make sure that they're addressed in the system. I think about when I was a young man and uh, I was new to the city and I didn't have a doctor. So I looked one up and uh, she was this little old lady <laughs> and I had gone to her because I had a mark on my hand and I was worried maybe it was HIV. And this goes all the way back uh, 25 years ago now. And uh, it was the most uncomfortable. I felt judged. Uh, I felt stigmatized. I felt dirty. She just made me feel all of these as a, as a young man without the tools to, or identity to, um, to overcome that in that moment. And you know what I did? I got up and I left the appointment. <laughs> I ran. Uh, and, 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 and that's, that's just my memory of, uh, of what people encounter uh, in different ways all the time. And, and, uh, it was after that that I promised myself and I went and did it. And he's been my doctor for, ever since then for over uh, 25 years now. I got myself a gay doctor um, who I could talk to openly and, and never be judged. And, but not everyone can do that, can they? 
No, unfortunately. I mean, I think there's more and more um, during physicians in training and other healthcare providers, nurses, nurse practitioners who are part of our, our community that are doing out and proud through their training. And I think that's shifted over time, which is great. I think your story really highlights during how those individual interactions, even ones that have happened a long time ago, still shape how we feel during they're really during leave quite an impression um, and i think that the challenge often now is during we have to make up for that history it's not just about being okay now it's about the fact of recognizing the harms that were done historically and we're seeing that with other communities as well during in terms of indigenous discrimination in healthcare, anti-black racism so, I mean, this is the conversation our country needs to have, but I'm grateful during that there are new providers that are coming up through the ranks that are interested in providing during queer health broadly to our communities. And I think that will provide a really great opportunity. And when we've been out in community talking with folks, that's what a lot of what people want. But if you're not living in urban centers, you know, if you're not living where that during that's going to be a, a more likely opportunity being rural being um during, i'm a, a gay boy from a small farm town in southern ontario so during for me that was something that during, i've never seen i'm not sure what the situation is there now living on the west coast but i think realistically during geography has a major um, uh, a major part to play in the kind of healthcare we can get as queer people in this country you touched on the fact that the COVID-19 pandemic has introduced new barriers to regular HIV testing. And I think that's pretty obvious, right? The, the clinics are closed down um, and access is, is really limited. Uh, is that why with this um, launch of the 2021 edition of Sex Now, you guys are clo- enclosing up to three rapid HIV self-test kits? Yeah, so that's, the, that's one of the exciting differences, I think, in this year's study, regardless of your HIV status, or as long as you're 18 or older in the study, you can opt in to get these three HIV self-test kits. And that's really about doing, built on the fundamental premise that our community takes care of each other. That people have a right to know their HIV status. And so this is really about providing people that option. So during with this study, we want to understand who's interested in HIV self-testing, what support people need when they use them, and what's the impact self-testing could have on our HIV response. So during wherever you are in the country, if you fill out the survey, you can put in your address. We'll ship you three up to three test kits to your home or any address of your choosing. Um, there's instructions that are provided during videos to support you. We also have trained and hired a number of peers who are located across the country that you can contact via phone, text, uh, email um, with your questions, with any troubles that you're having. So you've got that support with you. HIV self-testing isn't just about testing alone. It's really about a new way of um, learning about your status and getting connected to care and support. So I might have this backwards, but so uh, I get the um, self-test kits. I don't know my status, um, just pretend. And I do the self-testing. Do I get the results right then and there? Or yeah, this, does... is a, this is a great question. Let me walk you through what it'll look like. So during a filter- and who supports me? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> if I'm positive. Uh, oh, that's a great question. So if you're interested in the study, go to cbrc.net. So that's cbrc.net. You can fill out the Sex Now survey. And when you're done the survey, at the very end of it, you can log or opt in to receive these test kits. So if you don't want the test kits, just do the survey. That's great. But if you want these test kits, you'll put in your address. Um, we'll ship those to you. Um, they'll arrive during, to wherever, whatever address you've put in. Those test kits um, are all individually packaged. And so you can use them yourself or you can pass them on to someone uh, in your network who might need them or benefit from them. Um, when you get that test kit, if you want to use it, there's instructions that you can read around how to do that. You can contact our, we're calling them Test Now Buddies, harkens back to the beginning of the AIDS area and the Buddies program supporting folks living with HIV. Yeah. And those folks have been trained around what HIV self-tests are, doing about HIV, about doing all the questions that you might have around this. So they can answer any of your questions and they're there really for you. Before the test, during, they can be there during your test if you're interested, after your test, any of that's possible. Um, and so during, when you get your test, um, you'll do a little finger prick, you'll get a few drops of blood, you drop those into a vial, pour it into another vial, and then you put it onto the test device. And um, during that, I'll give you your result, basically. So that result will come immediately. Um, during it just takes a few seconds to process. So you get a result right, right, right there and then. Um, wow. So you don't need to send something back. Um, and so that's why it's important to think through during, I mean, um, during why is it that you're doing testing, during um, what might different results mean for you. Um, and that's why our peers are there as well to help you connect to during whether that may be you get a result and you're negative and you're like, okay, during I really think that I want to get onto prep now. During we can help you with that referral. During if you're struggling with mental health, during I mean and, and you've got a lot of anxiety or 
depression or other mental health issues, then Journey Meet Our Peers can help connect you to those kinds of services. If you have a reactive result, it's important that that get confirmed by a lab test. Um, so we can help you get linked up into traditional testing to do that. Um, and sometimes the test results are invalid and that happens just during, not all tests are perfect. This test is really good, but if you don't follow all the steps right, then sometimes it might not work out. So that's why we you can get another self-test kit in terms of doing another test, or you can try and uh, do a uh, get a referral for testing somewhere else where you're living. So there's a lot of different options here, but at the end of the day, what's important is it's up to you whether you want these test kits. Um, we're interested to find out who wants them, and we're here to support you through the test now buddies of that testing process. Uh, really complex um, work that you're doing and, and doing really well. Um, you launched the survey about a week and a half ago. And do you know at this point, is there any sort of percentage of people who have requested them? Is it, are a lot of people asking for them? Yeah, roughly, uh, I mean, I won't know the numbers from the last day, but I mean, roughly we've had a few hundred people who have completed the survey and about half of people have asked for test kits. That's kind of what we expected. Um, I think one thing that's important is if you're a person living with HIV, the test kits aren't designed for you, but we know that folks living with HIV are connected to people who might benefit from HIV testing. The folks living with HIV have some of the best knowledge and experience around HIV in our communities. So we're really interested in the role that everyone can play in terms of thinking about how to advance uh, self-testing in a good way with our communities. So that's kind of one piece. But yeah, half of people have asked for them and some people have asked for one, some people have asked for two, some people have asked for three. There's lots wow. of different messages around why. There was one participant who said, you know, I want the self-test to give to my gay nephew. Um, and I was like, wow, what a beautiful intergenerational wow. like, story in wow. terms of that. So I think there's going to be some amazing connections that come out of this work. And I'm just really grateful always to be able to get to do work with my community and always impressed at the way that people engage and take their time to do these things. So yeah, really appreciative. Dr. Nathan Lachowski is Community-Based Research Center's Director, Research Director and Principal Investigator of the Sex Now Survey. Sex Now, I'd love some sex now. Anyway. Sex Now, Sex Later, <laughs> Sex Never Happened. Thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate you. And, and again, really good work that you're doing. And, and come back and keep us posted. Thanks so much, Sean. Always a pleasure. You're welcome. Well, we've got Satya now, uh, which is almost as good as sex. When we come back, you've got the Sean Prue Show here on SiriusXM Canada Talks, Channel 167. We're glad you're here. You were perfectly formed for the season. You were wonderfully made. Marvelous, amorous, glorious, victorious. Hey, ooh la la to you too. You've got the Sean Prue Show here on SiriusXM Canada Talks Channel 167. That was Satya and it's the song called Maybe We Should. And it was my introduction to this lovely chanteuse from Quebec uh, when she came into the studio, I'm going to say maybe a year and a half or two years ago now, uh, and was promoting that single. And uh, newsflash, we kind of fell in love. <laughs> You know, when you meet somebody right away and you just dig them right away and you're on the same page as, as them right away. Well, that is the way it came to be with Satya and I. And she joins us right now uh, to celebrate some new music. Hey, gorgeous. Hola. How are Hola. you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Good, good, good. Congrats on all it's things. I know thank it has you. been a while. Um, you've got a new single out and we're going to play a little bit of it in a short while uh, for people to hear. But I wanted to ask you about the challenges of um, working as an artist in COVID times. What has that been like? It's been it's been tough at some point, you know, because as a new artist, we we try to really put music out. And and, you know, like we had this video and the song ready to go and um, COVID happened, then a bunch of other things happened where it was really, really stressful. But in the end, um, everything was, everything like um, was happening and I was really, really happy about it. We had to wait a little bit, you know, just not to put out something that would, you know, just maybe not be seen as much or because at the beginning of COVID, um, we realized that most people were, a lot of people were watching movies instead of like listening to hours of music, which, you know, put us in a, a in a position where we had to wait it out. And then um, we, we released it uh, this February and it was just like a good timing and 
we were so excited to to release that video and song because I think the song is is beautiful. You know, I I love In Trouble so much, and it's it's, it's new, it's it's fun. You sent me the video in February when when you launched it, and I love it. And I was so blown away. Um, and everybody, if you're listening right now, the song is called In Trouble. We'll play it in just a second. Um, but the video is exquisite, and it's so beautifully styled from set design to uh, wardrobe. And did you make this during COVID? Just before. Just before. So just were there... Before had you faced restrictions or anything at that point no. or you were free? I was yeah. going to say, because the, the um, production values on this, um, I wouldn't have known how you could have pulled this off during COVID. No, we were like, we were, we did all the video and everything just before COVID happened. And then we were like, Oh my God, when are we going to put it out? Like it's, it's going it, to, it was really complicated, you know, to, to just have it finished and polished by, by everybody because we were like we didn't know what was going on you know at first we had to adapt to COVID and stuff so we decided to just push back the release date and wait until everything goes back to normal if if I may say so you may, um, <laughs> you may and we pray you may and we pray <laughs> I pray every day <laughs> The so, song yeah. is called In Trouble, and we've got a, about a minute worth to uh, share with you right now. Let's hit it, producer. Your body's calling me in. I can't help it. It's overwhelming. Goosebumps all over my skin. Would you tell me? Has me melting. Satya here on the Sean Prue Show, Sirius XM Canada Talks Channel 167, and that's her new single, In Trouble. I would love to have played the whole thing, but it's not a music show, <laughs> so you just got a preview. <laughs> uh, but it's available uh, anywhere uh, you get your music. When you write music, um, Satya, I was listening to a really great podcast uh, last weekend. It's called Dolly Parton's America. Oh, and yeah, I heard about it. It's really, really good. And, and everybody, if you're listening, I would check that out. Um, especially if you love Dolly Parton, but she was saying that, um, you know, she's got a lot of considerations when she writes a song, um, you know, radio play, um, who she's trying to get the song, uh, especially in her early days, who she had to please with the song to get it out there. Do you know what I mean? What kind of uh, music label bosses, what they liked, and, and of course, still stay true to what she wanted to say. Do you think that way when you're making music? Of course, I want songs that can that people can relate to, and that is actually, um, you know, like a, a fun vibe. You know, like a, a pop like pop vibe where like it's it's like uplifting a little bit. You know, you listen to yeah. this in your car, you listen to this at home, and it's you know you feel uplift uplifted by the by the music a little bit. And I always try to find lyrics that for me, it's more important for people to really um, get the understanding that they want to get from the song. You know, I never mm -hmm. like put anything out where like, I'm going to say my inspiration, but like the, the most beautiful thing about music is that I love to hear people like what they feel about the song, like how mm -hmm. they how they're inspired by it, like what they hear in the music, you know? Do you ever get caught up in any kind of um, radio play formula 
um, shenanigans. You know, the, I'm making all this up, but there there is such a thing. Where <laughs> the, the hook has to come on first. You don't want the hook to come on until you've done like uh, make it happen fast. First five seconds of the song, then we got to have the hook and uh, like yeah. You sometimes get caught up in that. Well, not really, because you know, I we try to make music that really resonate with us and what we want to do like my production team and me but um I can understand that some people yeah I can totally understand what you mean because sometimes it gets difficult yeah it yeah. gets difficult the pressure is is definitely there what's the biggest hurdle in a at this point in your career for you right now besides mm. COVID <laughs> oh besides COVID yeah. uh I I don't know because honestly I've I've, I've had a bunch of hurdles happen before I released my first two singles. Yes. It was, uh, it was very difficult when I was younger to just like, um, find my place in the music industry. And I experienced this before releasing anything. So it was like, it was trial times for me when I was younger and just trying to find my position and, and, and find my sound and, um, you know, like never, like, even if I felt discouraged at many times uh, throughout the process, like never giving up and like finding that, that drive, that light that will make me uh, keep on going, even though I got like doors that were closing, even though I wasn't working with the right people for what I wanted to say or what I wanted to do. So it's, it's a bunch of experiences that give you um, more maturity in the industry, but I, I don't take them as like hurdles. I take them as lessons mm -hmm. and experience, you know? So today yes. I look back at it and I'm like, wow, I was a brave toaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always think of those things too. I, I say hurdles because I think a lot of people think of them as hurdles, but really it's just life moving you in this direction and that direction. This doesn't work out. It's because you're not supposed to be going that way. You've got to veer right and go that way exactly. instead. So it's kind of like a GPS almost. Um, exactly. You and I were talking um, not long ago off off air, and you're probably one of the most positive and grounded in your positivity um, people that I've come across in a while. And I wanted you to just take a few minutes before we've got a wrap and talk a bit about what has kept you sane during COVID, what has kept you positive, what has kept you happy. A lot of listeners are at their end, the end of their rope um, with all of this, whether they're in the U.S. or in Canada. Um, what's, what have you done? What's worked for you? What works for me? Well, first of all, I love people. I love staying connected to people, you know, so what was really important for me in those times where I felt a bit more isolated and a bit more anxious is was to stay connected with people that I love. Because once we do that, and we start realizing that we're not alone, like being alone, I was with my fiance, you know, like, we were together at home and, and being like with the fat, with our family is like one of the most important things to us. And it was really, really hard because I like to hug my family. I like to hug my friends. I like to talk to my friends. So I did a lot of FaceTime. I did a, a lot of Zooms. I always try to count my blessings, you know, like mm -hmm. having a roof over my head, having a meal to eat to eat, you know, and I tried to, to help as much as I could, you know, around the community. Also, that keeps me in check where, you know, even if times are hard, my glass is half full. How can I help somebody else fill their glass, you know, and how can, how can we stay connected through this pandemic, which, you know, like, thank God for like FaceTime and thank, and thank you for, for like, you know, Zoom calls and, and phone calls you know even and for me it's it's really important to know how people are doing and then like once we start chatting with people like we just realize that like we're all going through the same thing and it's I felt like it was less hard you know and um it's it's gonna come to an end at some point and I'm I'm looking forward to this like you know I'm just I just wake up like some people ask me like how do you do it I just wake up 
and I'm enthusiastic for another day. You know, like this is another day for me where I, I woke, I woke up and I'm breathing, you know, so might as well make it count. What is the blessing of COVID for you? The blessing of COVID for me is that I had a lot of time to reflect on what I didn't want anymore and what I wanted more. So relationships that, you know, were not going in the same, like, we're not like going in the same way, you know, like making more time for myself, making more time for, for, um, I like to help people. I love to, to just be with, with people and to hear whatever they, they want to say. So like COVID for me helped me to produce more music and, and, you know, work like right now we're working on a big, big album. That's going to be pretty, like pretty good, you know? So it's, it's, it's really, that was a blessing for me to finally be able to talk about a bit more about my life, you know, and a bit more about like what I've, I've been through and, um, and try to help people with that. So those are all blessings for me that um, being at home, taking the time to just like, you know, fix my house and, you know, like just enjoying being at home, you know, it, we didn't, we didn't have a choice. So it's, uh, it was, uh, it was, it was fun. And it was also long, you know, <laughs> I can't say that it was not long at times in the winter. It's difficult. And I have friends that are in Florida and they were telling me like, oh, we, we like meet in parking lots and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm, I was like, <laughs> you guys, screw you, you guys are awful. You know, like it's minus 25 in Canada. We can't like just meet people in parking lots and say hello, you know, with our masks. It's too cold. <laughs> so funny. Her name is Satya. Her new single, you've got to listen to it, is called In Trouble. You're a delight. I'm so glad you came into my life and uh, I wish you lots of success and joy. And I wish for us one of those big hugs you'd like to give very soon. I cannot wait to see you. You're a delight. <laughs> <laughs> That's another Sean Proust show over and out for this hour. You can always catch episodes you missed on demand on the SiriusXM app and over on SeanPru.com, where you can also subscribe to my Thought Revolution newsletter and get some what the what content that makes you think about things a little differently than you might have before. Until next weekend, I wish you peace and I wish you love. Oh my rebel